Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians and get back to normal. (laughs) Okay, we're making our way through the book of Ephesians. Paul was reading for us. Um, We started with, um, we left off in verse 16 last week, and I made the point that the first three chapters was dedicated to um, just explaining to them the necessity of what a new new believer is coming out of a very worldly, wealthy city called Ephesus. It's um, a port city. It's about oh, 90 miles from Patmos. That's where John wrote the book of uh, Revelation. But there's a Gentile group that really don't understand um, what would be familiar to the Jews. And now they're learning about this Jewish Messiah and basically it's the ABCs that he's going through and explaining it to him. But that's only the first half of the book of Ephesians. Um, The pivotal verse of Ephesians is chapter four, verse one, because it draws a sharp line between the doctrinal and the practical division of this book. This is a cause and effect relationship between one through three and four and six, because the spiritual walk of a Christian must be rooted in his spiritual wealth as Paul emphasized in Romans, uh, behavior does not determine blessing. Instead, blessing should determine behavior. Because of the unity of all believers in the body of Christ, growth and maturity come from the effective working by which every part does its part. Uh, This involves the exercise of spiritual gifts in love, Paul exhorts the reader to put off concerning your former conduct, uh, the old man, that's why I've entitled the study this morning, old man, new man, and put on the new man. Uh, That will be manifested by a walk of integrity in the midst of all people. They are to maintain a walk of holiness as children of light. We have seen the, the... exhibition of the new man and an inhabitation of the new man. Now we come to the prohibition of the new man. That is the negative side of the believer's life, which I think is important for us to see. In other words, the do's and don'ts. The old man, and remember, these are bad new baby Christians, and um, some of them... uh, they're still continuing in the old ways. They don't realize you're a new personnel and you have to live differently. So four, five, and six is Paul dealing directly with them on some of the do's and don'ts. And um, I mean, when you read the Ten Commandments, they're, they're not really in a positive form. They're sort of in a negative form. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. So on and so forth. And... These are good, but they're in a negative context. Well, even in the Christian life, there's things that we have liberty to do, and um, there's things that obviously we've let go of. But as far as the Gentiles in Ephesus, I mean, they're just learning this stuff. So anyway, that's a little background on where we're headed uh, this morning. We'll talk about a balance about um, liberty, the do's and the don'ts, and that's what Paul is going to be dealing with here. Verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now the reason he said that is there were a bunch of them and said, great, I'm saved now. But they didn't change their lifestyle. Now he's got to tell them you can't do that anymore. Uh, the way you used to walk as a Gentile, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, 
whose being, past feelings, have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness and greediness, but you have not learned so in Christ. In other words, this was your lifestyle before. You can't continue it now that you're born again because you'll grieved the Holy Spirit. Uh, You haven't learned that from us. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, okay? Those are the verses that deal with the old nature. Um, Paul's point um, um, reminds me, I'm gonna have you turn to the book of Romans and look at uh, verses 5, 15 to 21. And it talks about this wonderful gift that you've been given. It talks about by one man sin came into the world and by one man God forgave the sins of the world. So in 15, he calls it the free gift. It's not like the offense for if by one man's offense many died, referring to Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. Notice I said many and not all. You have to make that choice to accept or reject the gift. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many Offenses resulted in justification. Uh, just Justification is, when you accept Jesus, it's just as though you've never sinned. That's the way God looks at you. It doesn't mean you have quit sinning because you're gonna sin today. Please don't do it during the Bible study, though. Wait, wait till afterwards. Or <laughs> um. Verse 19, for as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. What do you mean obedience, Dwight? Remember when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane? He really didn't want to go. He said, Father, if there is any other way that mankind can be saved, I vote for that. And he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. There was no other way. He was the Passover lamb. He had to be perfect. He could not have sinned one time in thought, word, or deed. And he was the only one. So when Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way where a man can be saved, that's why. And um, we've been justified, just as though you've never sinned, like we sing in a song here. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, I read that because I'm leading up to chapter six because the mentality of the Roman people was the mentality of the Ephesian Gentiles. So I'll use them as an example. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Oh, God's forgiving free gifts, giving out gifts, forgiving sins? That's great. Let's sin. And this was an attitude that some actually had in Ephesus, these young Gentile believers. And then he goes on to say, or don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, Therefore we're buried with him through baptism in death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should walk, notice, in newness of life. That was the old man. Then you accepted the free gift and you became a new man and now you should walk accordingly, not doing the things that you used to do because you're a new man. 
you should walk in newness of life. But the Gentiles, they, they were saved. They just needed to be discipled. You can do this, you can't do this. And I'll give you examples of the do's and don'ts as we get into our study. Um, verse six, knowing that this, our old man, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, and we should walk in this newness of life. So Paul's main point now is that you're free by the gift of God's grace, but don't take advantage of it. And... Um, uh, by continuing in your old ways to bring about a satisfaction in your life that only God can satisfy your soul. Now, I want to give you an example of the wisest man in the world who has a burden for his son, and he wants to raise his son to be very, very wise. The man's name is Solomon. And the book of Ecclesiastes was written for his sons to point out the do's and don'ts and what is wise and what is foolish. With that being said, we are going to skim lightly uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. So that's where I'm going to have you turn to at this time. Ecclesiastes is on page 658, if you're wondering where it is. I want to give you examples of the wisest and the richest man in the Old Testament. And he's writing um, this to, really, to his son. And I'm just going to skip around here. And my point is going to be that most people try different things to, to bring fulfillment or meaning into their life to find satisfaction. But I can't help but thinking of the Stones song, I can't get no satisfaction. You know that's the number one rock and roll song of all time? I can't get no satisfaction, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. Well, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Solomon had the money, he had the resources, and he had the smarts. He could have, and he tried, all of them. So we start out in verse one, chapter one, the words of the preacher, the son of David, that's Solomon, king of Jerusalem. Vanity, of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all the labor which he toils under the sun? Looking over at chapter two, we'll read uh, one through 13, when it comes to pleasure. A lot of people try to find satisfaction in pleasure, different forms of it. I said, my heart, chapter two, verse one, come now, I'll test you with myrrh. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Uh, But surely, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it's madness. And of myrrh, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart, my flesh, with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was the good of the sons of men to do under all the days of their life. He thought, all right, I want satisfaction. Let's try some pleasure. In verse four, it switches gears. This is more of a man thing where they... They get their identity, um, what they're known for, what they're good at, and that is uh, great accomplishments on their job. In this case, it's a building project. Verse four, I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, planted all kinds of fruit trees, Um. I made water pools for which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yet I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. 
I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings um, and singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kind. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem and I also my wisdom remained with me. So he's on a learning curve and he's gonna try everything to find satisfaction. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in my labors, and this was my reward for all the labor. And I looked at all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Um, let's go to skip over, um, turn, turn, turn here in uh, chapter three. And let's go over to um, chapter, I have to skim because obviously we can't go through the whole book, but we'll hit the high points. Let's go to chapter five and look at um, um, verse eight and deal with what most people are looking for and wanting and that is wealth and security and satisfaction and having money. Chapter five, verse eight, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and the righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter for high official watches over high officials and the higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all The king himself is served for the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves the abundance will increase. This is also vanity. Um, Let's see, I left off there. When goods increase, they increase who eats them, so what profit has the owner except to see them in their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. This is true. If you work hard all day long, you'll have a good night's sleep. But if you're rich and you don't have to work and you got a lot of servants and all you have to do is lay around and do nothing, it says whether he eats little or much, the hard worker, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. He's tossing and turning all night. You know what he's worrying about? His money. <laughs> and or something else. He's, but something's keeping him awake. But he hasn't worked all day, so he's not tired. So he tosses back and forth all night long. Wealth brings difficulties. Um, and it's interesting to me that this is the one thing in the New Testament that we're exhorted to warn the, the rich so that they don't, trust in their riches instead of trusting in the Lord. I haven't asked for an amen yet this morning. Amen? Amen. And yet, um, this is a driving force. Um, I didn't go to college, but I lived on campus. And I was going to go to college, but the house that I was living with um, the guys that were involved in going to school didn't go to school. They sat around all day and got high. And I thought, why should I go to college and pay money for college if that's all we're gonna do is sit around and get high all day? So I never went, I never went to college. And I don't know, some of my friends, Pat Gohan was one of them who lived in this house. He eventually got saved and he's a missionary in, in Africa, talked to him just the other day. Uh, is doing great. But um, um, how did I get carried away that? Oh, sleeping and having too much money and, and warning of wealth. Uh, let's turn to chapter 12. 
see the conclusion. There's other things that he warns his son about. Uh, Look at verse one. And he tells his son, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Life is full of trials. And um, uh, you could be a Christian or a non-believer. You can build your house on the rock, which is God's word. And what does it say? Storms are gonna come, like it or not. Yeah, but I'm saved and born again. Doesn't matter. (laughs) But the house stood because it was built on the rock. Then the Lord says, but those who hear my word and do not apply them to their life, now we're talking the Ephesians, um, same storms are gonna come, but because they had no foundation, everybody's warned you don't build a house on sand. Um, The storms come, the house fell, because it had no foundation. So he says, remember your creator before the difficult days come. Christians are not exempt from fiery trials and storms. Another good place for an amen. (laughs) But we have a solid rock to stand on and we can cast our cares upon the Lord for he cares for us and the world doesn't. My heart goes out to the people right now with all the pressures, losing jobs, all these storms that are coming like never before. And my heart goes out to them because they don't have a solid rock. And their foundation is emotionally speaking, psychologically speaking, very fragile to the point of anxiety and depression and everything else that goes along with that. So let's hear the end of the matter. Pick it up in verse nine through 14, the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. He wrote the book of Proverbs, over 3,000 proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails uh, given by one shepherd. And further, my son, see, this book is about to his son. I be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. So let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's sum it all up, and here it is. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of a man. For God will judge every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. You want to find satisfaction? You want to find peace? You want to find rest? Uh, The Lord says, come unto me. I'll give you a peace that passes human understanding and a satisfaction of your soul that can't be replaced by any of the things that are in the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, let's go back to 2 Timothy. I'll give you an example of going back after being saved. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's, one of Paul's last letters. He's in prison. And, um, oh, the first part of this is so good. Um, These are sort of his uh, final words that he's given. Let's pick it up. It's too rich to miss the first couple verses here. He's talking to Timothy, who is in Ephesus at the time. He's writing from prison in Rome. I charge you therefore before God and Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me things I don't want to hear. I don't want to be exhorted. I don't want to be told I can't do this or I can't do that. Uh, He's telling Timothy, you're young. Don't let anybody despise your youth. You're older in the Lord than they are. They might be 50 and you might be 30, but you're older than they are, spiritually speaking. Is everybody with me? So he says, don't let anybody despise your youth. You're older than that person who's young in the Lord. You can be 60 years old and a baby Christian, and you can be 17 years old and be brought up in the Lord and have massed some maturity um, in your walk with the Lord. But you, verse five, be watchful in all things, endure affliction. Well, he comes right out and tells he's gonna have affliction. And do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Why? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Are you waiting and wanting the Lord to come? Oh yeah, (laughs) bring it on, Lord. And then he says this, be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? For Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, the Cretans for Galatia, Titus to to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Uh, Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful for being ministry. Um, He talks about Alexander the coppersmith who did him much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Well, he wants vengeance on this guy, but he wants the Lord to take care of it. He's not gonna do it. In other words, Lord, sing him, go get him. Um, you also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. But I wanna go back to Demas. Here's a guy that was following and walking with the Apostle Paul. But all the things that we just read about in Ecclesiastes, that he says, you can try this, 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 and this, and it's all vanity of vanity. It won't make you happy. And Demas left. You might call it being backslidden or whatever, but there's no mention of him except that he's departed because he loved the present world. What does First John tell us? Anybody who loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. Anybody who loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so our home, or the reason we call our cafes Pilgrim's Cafe, is with the idea um, that we're just pilgrims and strangers. We're just passing through and touch the world lightly because this is not home. And the way the world is going, I'm ready to go home. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, Demas went back. Why did he go back? He thought he could find fulfillment in all the things that the wisest man in the world says, you can try it if you want to, but it's vanity, emptiness, and it won't satisfy you. All right, um, Chapter 4, 20 to 22. I wonder if that's here. Nope, let's go back to um, Ephesians and read verses 20 to 22, where it says, But you have not learned this from Christ. Learned what? Um, You can't, as a Christian, live the old man lifestyle, there has to be change and reformed. Um, So we read, but you have not learned this from Christ. This isn't what the Lord said. The Lord says, deny yourself. 
and to love your brother more than you love yourself. Our problem is we love ourselves. <laughs> and we don't love others more than ourselves than we're supposed to. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, been taught by him as the truth of is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according for the deceitful lusts. And uh, these are things that when you're a baby Christian, it's sort of a learning curve of um, this contrast. Here's a contrast with the life of the Gentiles. If anyone is not listening to Jesus, then Jesus must not be his savior. The Lord Jesus is a shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice. If you haven't heard his voice, then you're not one of his sheep. What will challenge the Gentile uh, from their old nature? What are they to do? Well, they are to listen to Christ. They are to hear him. They are to be taught by him. Those who are not of his sheep will not hear his voice. You should be able to say, well, you know, the Lord told me, and if somebody crosses their eyes and looks at you weird, you can look back at him and say, no, the Lord really speaks to me. I recognize that still small voice when I'm in a situation. What do you think about this, Lord? Nope, don't want you there. Okay, I can hear that voice. Or you have this conviction by the Holy Spirit. That's acceptable. This is not acceptable. Let's turn to um, oh, let's turn to the new man now. Let's go to Second Corinthians. Um, well, let's go back and read it in Ephesians first of all, and we'll come back and I'll point out some things on the new, the new man. So, Gentiles in Ephesus, get rid of the old and put on the new. Verse twenty-three starts with the new man. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness, truth, and holiness. Put, therefore, putting away lying, each one speaks truth with his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. I want to stop there because I want to talk directly about being angry and sitting not. So... 23 to 25. Yeah, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, looking at verses 17. And this is what happens when a person is born again. And he's speaking this again to new Christians. And he's explaining to the Corinthians, therefore... Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, then he's a new creation. We call it being born again. Old things have passed away, or they're supposed to. Behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means it's your job. Uh, We read it last week that um, the Lord gave gifts to pastors and teachers and so on and so forth. He just lists four for the purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. So what are we to be reconciling? Other people, friends, loved ones. Have you been reconciled to God? Have you made your peace with God? I got to witness to another guy who was doing something. It wasn't the fireplace guy. This was, uh, oh, uh, our garbage disposal went out. <laughs> I called a plumber. I looked at it, and I thought, I can do this. And the more I looked at it, I thought, I can't do this. <laughs> so I said, how much is it going to cost me to put this, have somebody come over? And I actually know knew the owner of the company personally. It was, it was the son that came over. He said, oh, about 100 bucks. I said, for 100 bucks, you can do it. Well, again, 15 minutes to put in the garbage disposal. 
but he knew about current events. And he picked my brain and we talked for an hour. And I said, you're not charging by the hour, are you? (laughs) But people are open right now. And I started the conversation by this. I said, what do you think about what's going on in the world right now? And he had opinions. And I said, what do you think about taking the shot? He said, I'd never do that. I said, why? Because it's a death jab. And the more I talked to him, he knew quite a bit. But there's a lot he didn't. And boy, did we have a great conversation. And that's what reconciliation is all about. I said, if you're interested, I gave him agenda one and two. I said, this is what's going on right now. And um, the last thing I said with him, here's the most important thing. I won't call him by name because you'd recognize the plumbing. And I wouldn't want to embarrass him. But I said, here's the bottom line. Are you right with the Lord? Are you right with the Lord? I said, I want to give you this and God of wonders. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, if you want to talk to me anytime about any of these things, um, just call me up. You know what he did? He looked me square in the eye and he said, thanks, Dwight. I'm going to take advantage of that. And he was just open. And uh, he called me his friend. I've known the family for many, many years. I've known his dad. I really don't know the son. But that is what reconciliation is all about. I mean, look for the opportunity. Look for a way to start a conversation to get them to answer a question. Hey, what do you think about what's going on in the world right now? Well, he had a lot to... a lot to say about what's going on in the world right now. Anyway, uh, our ministry is that of reconciliation. And 2 Corinthians 5, um, um, we left off in 18, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has commanded us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though Christ were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Who are we? We're ambassadors. Interesting that countries, at least seven to 10 that I know of, are telling the people that are in Russia to leave Russia immediately. Israel just closed its, um, um, not Israel, one of them just closed their uh, embassy and told the person who's the embassy leader in Ukraine, get out and come home. Why was he calling him to get out and come home? Because war is imminent in between Russia and Ukraine. I've become fully persuaded. Um, we left off in chapter five of Second Corinthians. Sorry about interrupting that and bringing that in, but I didn't want to play it. Um, let's turn to chapter six, verses 14. We're talking about the do's and don'ts now that you're born again. There's some things, obviously, that go. When you're born again, and um, it says here in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Um, The implication, I believe, it applies to business and marriage. So, you're not to marry an unbeliever. That's what that's saying here. And um, I've, I can't tell you how many couples over the years they came in and said, well, we're planning on getting married. We just can't afford not to stay in the same place together. And I said, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't do that. And I said, but I tell you what, you want a clear conscience and you want to make it right? Go down and see the judge downtown. He'll charge 150 bucks. 
and you can be married in a week. And then your conscience will be cleared. And then if you want a great big fancy wedding later on, we'll have it here at the church. Maid of honor, best man, wedding cakes, the whole shebang. But until then, you move out. And you don't stay in the same house. Um, do the guys at work know you're a Christian? Yeah, well, I witness to them all the time. Do they know that you're living with a woman, unmarried? Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, the Bible says you're to avoid even the appearance of evil. Yeah, but everybody does it. Well, you're not everybody. You're a born again, new believer, and you're not to be unequally yoked with a believer. Good place for an amen. And in business. Because in a business, say you're saved and you're a business owner, and your partner isn't. It comes tax time. Oh, we can look over this one. We don't have to put that on. And the believer goes, oh yeah, we do. Uh, We obey the laws of the land, and when it comes to paying taxes, we pay them. You can't be unequally yoked in a business. There's going to be tensions and problems that are going to arise if that comes up. All right, let's go on. And what, verse 15, and what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, because Christ is in you, now we have the therefore, come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Little sidetrack here on, on what's just being said about coming out from among them and having no fellowship with them. Um, the Amish have taken this verse literally. Tim and Mary went color watching down by the Mississippi, And she says, this is my favorite picture that I took. And what it was, was an Amish carriage. I mean, if anybody's gonna survive the things that are about to hit the fan, (laughs) the Amish will, because they they take the scripture and they make it legalistic. They don't have phones, they don't have cars. They they just um, are coming out from what they call the world. Well, to me, that's being legalistic. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, uh, some churches um, believe that women should not wear makeup. I think that's being legalistic. Uh, what Jay Vernon McGee has to say about that, the girls wearing makeup, he says, if the bar needs painting, then paint it. <laughs> Only JV get away with saying that. Okay, I think uh, Christians can be legalistic about cigarettes. We had, a, after a Sunday service a couple of years back, a guy went out and he lit one up and he was sitting there. And uh, one of the guys came up to him as he was smoking a cigarette. He looks at him and says, well, you know what the Bible has to say about smoking cigarettes, don't you? And he looked sort of head down, convicted. And he says, nothing. (laughs) And so we are free. And that's what the new man is. We have a freedom. But uh, we can't be legalistic with our freedom that we have. I'll give you an example. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. And um, we're looking at Verses um, two through five. John the Baptist has been put in prison. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now remember, in Malachi 3.1, he's the voice crying in the wilderness. He had one job. His one job was to point out who the Messiah was. And he says, there he is. That's the Lamb of God right there. 
who's going to take away the sins of the world. That that's, was John's job. And, uh, but then he's in jail and he's thinking about it and he's hearing all these stories that Jesus is doing. And he begins to be offended by some of the things that he's hearing. And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus and he said, are you the coming one or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus answered and said, go tell John this, the things that you've heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he adds this, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In the Gospel of John, without exception, the Lord will tell the person he's talking to something about that person that nobody knows. And that's what Jesus is doing right here with John the Baptist. That was not what John was interested in. He was hearing rumors about Jesus associating with people of questionable character. And John the Baptist ate locusts and wore um, prophet's garb of camel hair. And uh, he took the vow of the Nazarene, the vow of the Nazarene, you couldn't even eat grapes, much less drink wine. Turn the page to verses 18 and 19. And we'll pick it up in verse 16. He's talking about John the Baptist being the greatest man who ever lived. But to what shall I like in this generation? It's like children sitting in a marketplace and calling their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and did not lament. For John came, notice, neither eating nor drinking. Why? Because he was under the vow of a Nazarite. And Nazarites could do neither, grapes or wine. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, He's a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors. Everybody hated tax collectors, and he's a friend of them. And sinners, he's hanging out with sinners. And John's job was to rebuke sinners and tell them to repent and be baptized. And here the Lord is hanging out with them. But wisdom is justified by her children. I encourage you to hang out with your old friends under this condition, that you're mature enough in the Lord that when it comes down to talking, that um, you're more equipped to be the influencer rather than to be influenced like Demas and go back. Is everybody tracking with me here? You should be hanging with your old friends, not like you would on a regular basis, like you would uh, coming to men's prayer or to church and going out after church and having a meal. Your real true friends who you hang with are your born-again brothers and sisters in Christ. But when it says, come out from among them and be separate, he's not saying, don't talk to your old friends. Talk to them. And they'll probably say something, are you still doing that Christian thing or something like that? (laughs) Go, yep, still am. And um, so... My point here is don't, with your new freedom, um, don't be legalistic. Um, John was offended because Jesus was hanging with people of questionable character. Um, Let's go to Acts chapter two. Getting ready to wind this up here. I didn't say I was closing. I'm getting ready to wrap this thing up here. Acts chapter two, I'm gonna give you an example. Your lifestyle is gonna change. What was your lifestyle before? Well, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, it was noted for bar hopping. It was a college town. So Saturday night, what did we do? We bar hopped. So you get born again, instead of bar hopping on Saturday night, you're in church on Sunday morning. It's just one of those things that you just naturally don't do do anymore. You look forward to church. You look forward to fellowship. Uh, You look forward to worshiping the Lord and casting your cares on him. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have um, um, the church being born, and we have all these Jews that are getting saved, and um, among those that are going to get saved here are Philip and Stephen, and that's who I want to use as an example. And what did they do with their new lifestyle? This is actually the foundational scripture for Calvary Chapels. Um, Jeff was telling me when I was in Madison on Friday night that they were in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship breaking of bread. He says, but we really didn't have a prayer night or day. And he says, so we're gonna have one. And I said, well, from the first day we started over 40 years ago, we've had men's prayer and women's prayer. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, that's Bible study, fellowship, that's hanging out with believers, communion, breaking of bread, and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among anyone who had need. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking in bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, the first part of this tells you all the countries that the Jews came from in verses six. I'm not gonna read it down to verse 11. And they were all Jews, and they were all coming to Jerusalem for this feast. Well, a couple of the guys that got saved, a lot of these people didn't go home. Why? They were brand new Christians. All they knew is they were saved. So a bunch of them stayed, but they didn't have anywhere to stay. (laughs) So Barnabas sells a piece of land so that these people can be fed and housed, is the idea. Well, a couple of them, in Acts chapter seven, let's go over there, Um, because it says uh, in those days the number of the disciples were multiplying. In other words, the church kept growing and growing and growing. And they were getting so busy that some of the um, Hellenists, uh, because they were widows, were neglected in a daily distribution. In other words, when the food was being passed out, they weren't getting it. And then they summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I mean, we gotta study for the Bible study. We can't spend all day just passing out food. So let's pick out some guys to be overseeing that job. It would be equivalent to what we had on the screen this morning. Um, It's not gonna snow today, praise the Lord. (laughs) But it's good (laughs) sometime. And so we have guys that uh, we call them the yard crew or the snow crew, and we need them because we have three parking lots here. They need to be cleaned up and sidewalk needs to be shoveled and so on and so forth. And that's what they're asking for. So they looked for men who had a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and they appointed them over their business. And they chose, we read here, Stephan, and also a guy named Philip. So these two men, Stephan and Philip, and we read about them, verses one through eight, and Stephen in verse eight, full of faith and power, uh, did great wonders and signs among the the people. Um, Philip went to Samaria and um, had a revival up there. So they got saved and they got um, busy doing the Lord's work. Let's go back and finish up in Ephesians. Ephesians four twenty six to 29. Let no corrupt communication, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but what is good and necessary for edification that may impart grace to the hearers. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with. Be angry and sin not, all right? Let's use Jesus for an example. Um, People were paying their temple shekel to get into the temple, but the money changers would take what country you were from and take that currency and exchange it for the temple currency. The thing is, they added on to it. They were skimming and adding more than what they were supposed to. And the Lord saw it. And so what did the Lord do? Well, he made a whip. And he started turning over tables. Just picture that in your mind. The Lord getting angry. He makes a whip. And he takes his money changers and he's going around. I could do a great demonstration right now, but I don't want to hurt my pulpit, and just throw the thing down. You think it would get your attention? Oh, yeah. What's Dwight mad about? Well, the Lord got mad. And he also got mad. Um, He said, this house is a house of prayer, not a place to be making money. And he was upset. The Lord Jesus showed anger. He went to the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand, And what angered him was that the Pharisees had planted that man there just to see what Jesus would do. And when he had looked about on them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as the other. Our Lord was angry at the Pharisees for doing such a thing. Also, we are told that God is angry all the day long. So now we can go back and finish up. But I want you to know it's not wrong to be angry. But it says don't let, your, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if you've got an ought against a brother and, and you can make it right, I just go up to him and humble yourself and say, look, man, I blew it. I'm sorry. I should have said that. I should have done that. And you have to forgive him because the Bible says if you don't forgive him, you're not going to be forgiven. And you're going to go home and you're not going to be able to sleep that night. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? Well, you want to stay up and be angry all night, it's up to you. But not a good idea. Just forgive and forget. Get on with it. You've been forgiven much. So you should be able to forgive a brother or sister that you might be upset with. Get over it. Just get over it for your sake. I mean, the other person that you're angry at might have forgotten all about it, and you're the ones who's losing sleep over it. (laughs) All right, let's finish this up. Um, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness with anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. What is it that grieves him? It is the offense that has been listed. When a Christian lies, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When a Christian has dirty thoughts, it grieves the Holy Spirit. What happens when any person is grieved? It breaks the fellowship. The Holy Spirit cannot work in your life when you have grieved him, when fellowship with him has been broken. So what do you do? Come here on Sunday morning loving each other. That's what the last verse says here. Forgive one another, and just as God in Christ forgave you. And um, the exhortation to be tenderhearted and uh, be loving. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we finish uh, the fourth chapter of Ephesians, pray that you go before us the rest of this day. And we do thank you for your creation and um, the beautiful time of year, my favorite time of the year, because of uh, the beautiful color of the leaves changing. Um, we're just we're just grateful. What I left in praying, Lord the church in Madison when I left is exhorting them not to take for granted 
what they have with their brothers and sisters in Calvary Chapel of Madison. And Lord, I would pray that same prayer for us here. Help us never take for granted what we have. Um, Fellowship with one another, kindred spirits, to be able to fellowship and worship and help us never take that for granted. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. amen.